Amen. All right. So you guys were able to hopefully get going with the little um, arrival poll. Uh, I was wanting to throw those results up here for you guys all to see, but I'll just kind of share. So it sounds like you guys are going uh, pretty well this morning. Uh, most of you, Mark, that you were good to go. Don't need very much coffee. We only had a few zombies among us. Um, when it says the, the word culture, what do you think about? Man, I've got this really cool um, word wall on my screen. I wish you guys could see it. But the bigger words are heritage, language, food, people, and then I'm just going to say kombucha because I like kombucha. All right. <clears throat> when you hear the word culturality, what comes to mind? 39% uh, of you guys said intercultural, between cultures. Second place would be intracultural. And then there's a strong showing for this dude totally made this up. No laughs. Okay. All right. So um, literal data. Uh, okay. Well, let's talk about diversity training. All right. Um, the majority of you are thinking that some of the training includes uh, some good content, albeit not, not totally aligning with scripture, which I would agree with. All right. How do you feel about your cultural background? Evenly split. Disconnected from it. Proud of it. And then there's a few of you who are confused by it. Hopefully, by the end of this day, we'll make a little progress in those areas. Of these pictures, with which do you most associate the word neighbor? Okay, the majority of you guys pick the little kid out in the, the galoshes out, out in the yard. Cool. Second was a bunch of people sharing meals. Again, I wish you guys could see this, but okay. <clears throat> in your opinion, what most impacts a person's world view? There is a lot here, but I'm going to throw out cultural upbringing, country, religion, political party, uh, upbringing and family, getting a strong representation, and hopefully one that will be more true for us, their view of God. All right. <clears throat> As we get started, what questions do you have? I'm going to read the one serious one that I see. Uh, how does my identity and belonging to the culture of Christ parentheses, spiritual, intersect and interact with my culture of birth, physical. Does it replace, reinforce, or something else, or what does it do? Awesome question. We are going to be talking about that. Hopefully, we'll have an answer uh, by the end of the day. As we get started, I want to share with you guys a few Samaritan stories. Um, I'm not camping out here. I'm not doing a full-blown exposition, so... Exegesis police don't come after me, but I just want to share a little bit to get our minds going a little bit on this Saturday morning. So, first of all, we have a village in Luke 9. When the days were coming to a close for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of himself, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Let's just note the settings and the response. All right, so we have Samaritans rejecting Jesus specifically because he wanted to go to Jerusalem. Samaritans, um, those would be half-breeds, excuse me, but that's basically the reality, and heterodox half right in their theology. They're against Jesus. Jesus' disciples are against them. He rebukes. So the question might be, why did Luke 
by the Holy Spirit include these details. Why these six verses sandwiched in here about a Samaritan village and their response? Question to think about. All right, number two in Luke 10, just a chapter over, something you're probably familiar with. But let me read it, and uh, we'll think through some of these details. Then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went over to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put, on his, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus said, Go and do the same. So, this guy shows up. How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus' response, what does the Bible say? In response to his answer, he says, now go and do it. You are correct, sir. But attempting to justify himself, he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Let's note, he doesn't ask, who is my God that I might love him? Who am I that I might know how to love him with my whole self? Who is my neighbor is kind of his way of, of getting out of this. And Jesus tells this parable about a Samaritan of all people and then says, go and do the same. Na being a neighbor meant finding a guy on the road, not necessarily living next door. So the characters here are a man who's mugged, a priest who passes by, a Levite who leaves, and a Samaritan who serves. Clint, alliteration shout out. All right. He proves to be neighborly in his compassion. So why did Jesus tell the parable in this way? Why did he include these identifiers for the characters? Why a Samaritan? Right? It's a parable. Why a Samaritan and not the priest, not the Levite, or simply just another generic man? All right. <clears throat> then we have in John 4, the story of the woman at the well. It's a little long. We're already going a little bit late. We're testing your guys' adherence to the clock as opposed to the event. We'll talk about that later with our, our time management here. Um, but for time's sake, I won't go into all of it. But let's think about it. We have Jesus going from Judea up to Galilee through Samaria. Okay? He's going to interact with a Samaritan woman and a Samaritan town. And then later in the same passage with Galileans. And we're going to see a different experience. So he comes up. He asks for water. What's the response? How is it that a Jewish man is talking to me, a Samaritan woman, and asking for water? They get talking. He kind of uh, wants to just be right out front with her about him being the Messiah, offering eternal life. And her response is, are you greater than our father Jacob? Later on, as he keeps pushing the issue, she kind of sidetracks with our father's worship on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the right mountain. When the disciples show up, they marveled that he was talking to a Samaritan woman. 
And then later, because of her own testimony, this man told me everything about me. He knows everything about me. He knows about my living situation, and he's dug down and done heart surgery. This guy is the Messiah because of her testimony. The whole Samaritan town believes. They respond personally to an experience with Jesus that overcomes the Jew-Samaritan divide that we didn't see in the village earlier. And then later on, Jesus goes to a Galilean town, and they welcome him, but the reason they welcome him is because of a shared Jerusalem experience previously. So again, we're not going to unpack all of this, but just let's get those things kind of percolating in our minds a little bit. We might ask the question, why did Luke, by the Holy Spirit, report the story in this way? What was it that clicked for that Samaritan woman and for the town? How did, the, how did Jesus ask the woman to be his neighbor? And how was he a neighbor to her? And then how might we contrast the experiences of the Samaritan village in Luke 9, the rejectors, with the Samaritan town in John 4, and then also the Galileans in John 4? So, as we get going, let's talk about what this is and what this is not. First of all, this is not yet another diversity training. It is not yet more shame tactics. It is not yet more cancel culture. It is not political. It is not a secular enterprise. Now, in whatever your HR director might be sharing, whatever, we might affirm some of the things that they say because all truth is God's truth. But if there is truth, they are borrowing it from God's truth. So we can affirm some things certainly. But at the same time, for us, this is a call to awareness, to love your neighbor better. This is a call to engagement from the inside out. We'll deal with that a little more later. And it's a call to the gospel. This is not a secular enterprise. This is a uniquely Christian enterprise. What we're going to talk about today will not work for those who do not have the Holy Spirit, who do not have the unifying Christ who died for all peoples, who do not have a relationship with the creative father of all peoples. It will not work. This is our job. This is personal, this is social, and this is spiritual. Let's define success. By the end of this Saturday seminar, we will be further equipped in our understanding and application of biblically faithful neighbor love. Let me say it again. We will be further equipped, not fully, a little bit further, equipped in our understanding and application of biblically faithful neighbor love. Take it a step further. Knowing that God is at work so that all peoples might see and savor the glory of Christ. I hope that we can all agree on the validity of that aim. Um, and let me just say, I haven't even said the word culturality yet, okay? We're talking about biblical categories of loving our neighbor. What I want to do is I want to help just put some tools in your toolkit today. I want to follow up to Nathan's recent, uh, recent sermon series and just take a step of application a little bit further, give you some practical tools and some different ways to think um, as we kind of flesh some of those principles out. So I hope that as a native New Mexican who grew up in a context where there was shared Anglo-White, Mexican, Navajo Dene, things going on, cultural elements, somebody who moved to Louisville, Kentucky, lived in a very ethnically diverse area, apartment complex full of a lot of refugees, things like that. Spent time in the public school system over there. More than 100 languages spoken in, in their public school system. 100 languages, not peoples represented, languages. Some share the same language. 
and then spent time studying anthropology, ethnography, and the Bible. And I've lived in Central Asia for the last six years in a relatively small city, very few expats. So I, I hope that bringing that background, I can help with this application conversation just a little bit. All right, so before we jump into the word culturality, uh, I want to share a couple of uh, little quotes with you. The Church of Jesus Christ is the original multicultural trans-economic social project. N.T. Wright, Nathan Sherman, uh, like Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Um, and then we've got a question that Nathan asked. What unspoken or implicit barriers might prevent us from being able to say to everyone in our city, you are welcome here. Let me throw out some scenarios and you guys just think about what are the dynamics at play in these scenarios. A Midwesterner moves in next door and they don't understand the question red or green. A coworker of a different nationality or ethnicity is on a group project with you and it, for some reason it just seems like things aren't clicking. Perhaps you work in the public school system and you have students or even fellow teachers, administrators, whose language in the home is not primarily English. An international graduate student shows up at Christchurch and their only exposure to church before this is from watching movies. A middle schooler's teammate has two moms and that is the only home dynamic he's ever known and all of the outside influencers in his life are supportive of this dynamic. You have a different culture or nationality foster care or adoption situation. There's present friction with understanding home, family, language, and then perhaps future friction with issues of identity, friendship, or hobbies and inclinations. You interact with a couple at the abortion clinic, and the only option that their community sees as valid is to get rid of the child. How about you send out a single lady to North Africa? She's figuratively parachuting into a context where she has no overseeing father figure, no blood relatives to provide context and a place for service. She does not adhere to the majority belief system. She has to learn a new language and she's experiencing culture stress at every turn. There are a lot of dynamics at play. The common denominator for all of these situations though is that they all need the gospel. Lost person, believer, uh, person from another country, person in that context ingrained there. All need the gospel. The question is, are we equipped to work on, right, further understanding, to work on not getting in the way of that gospel that they need? I believe that understanding the concept of culturality can help us in this aim. So there it is. I said the word. All right. As some of you were wondering, did you make this up? Um, a metaphor that I would like to share before defining it is that of prescription sunglasses. So I wear prescription sunglasses. These are obviously not sunglasses, but imagine they are, they're tinted. I put them on after wearing them for a while. I don't realize that I have them on my face, right? You get used to it. You don't, you're not constantly messing with sunglasses because they are sunglasses. They provide a tint through which I see the world now to which I also get used to. I'm not constantly going, brown, 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 browner, because I just get used to it. And at the same time, the unique prescription, the number that matches my eyes to make me able to see far away, but not mess up seeing close, is what I need to make my eyes work. We're all walking around with prescription sunglasses on. 
We just don't realize it. So today we're going to evaluate our sunglasses a little bit. Let's get into the semantics. The word, wordplay. Let's do a little word with friends. All right, so we've got a comparison here. Person, noun. Personal, adjective. Personality, noun. Personalness, right? Context, contextual, contextuality. Same thing, noun, adjective, back to a noun. Spirit, spiritual, spirituality. Okay, why do I share these? That quality isn't all that crazy. So when we add it onto culture, it just gives us the same type of dynamic of moving from noun, adjective, back to a noun. All right, so um, we, we look at person. Persona is the mask in Latin that actors, actresses used to wear. Not that they would put it on and kind of have a facade of their character, but that a good actor, a good actress, when they become that character, they actually become that. They put on that persona, all right? The word cult uh, cultura comes from Latin colere, which is the idea of tending or cultivating. It's garden language. We might define it as this, a learned and shared design or pattern of living for a group of people. Now, there's been a huge recent emphasis on personality, all right? You might have, uh, you might use, be a fan of, you're definitely probably exposed to Enneagram, Typefinder, Disc, Myers-Briggs, Grip Berkman, going back in the day, Love Languages, all right? Any fellow strugglers out there with some of these, like, I don't fit, I'm not, I'm, I'm red, but I want to be green, or I'm this letter, but I want to be that, or... Um, I joke that with Enneagram that I should be a seraphim because I have so many wings sticking out. I just don't fit. All right. I think sometimes we assume culturality in our discussion of personality. We don't realize that culture impacts individuals more than just their personality per se. So what, what is culture now? How, how might we define this term? Here's what I came up with from a variety of sources. The nature by which collective encoded patterns of defining life, interpreting experience, and evaluating behavior impact a person or a people. Let me say it again. The nature by which collective encoded patterns of defining life, interpreting experience, and evaluating behavior impact a person or people. Think about it this way. You could have two similar personalities functioning in two different cultures, right? Introvert, introvert here, introvert in China. But there's still going to be culturality at play. So for the relative flood of writing, influence, and media concerning personality, I think there's room to grow in our awareness of some categories and concepts pertaining to culturality. All right, quickly, some categories, concepts, and considerations as we, as we really get going in this. First of all, personhood. Reference Nathan's recent message. Go and listen to that again. But we are image bearers. We're put in a unique position at the pinnacle of creation. Physical, social, spiritual beings made to reflect God as little lords in his kingdom. With that, there is an inherent dignity and in parallel with that, there is a call to steward all of creation. All right, so if we're called to steward the physical aspects of creation, 
How much more than are we called to be stewards of sold humans? I don't really have time for it, but this C.S. Lewis quote is just too good to not share. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. When we interact with people, they are image bearers, and we should see them as such. Of course, we've been marred by sin. All the brokenness that we see in our world, including in our cultures, comes from the Genesis 3 event. But we have more in common than we have different. What did Adam say when woman showed up? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He looked at all the creation, all the animals, and he said, you, you are different. You are like me. Even though she was a completely different gender. We're not getting into gender right now. But when we get the sense that someone is strange or foreign, very different from us, maybe we should look at a nearby rock or a nearby tree or a cat and ask ourselves, which is more like me? We have a lot more in common than we think. This is our baseline for understanding and action. Secondly, race versus ethnicity. Again, go back and listen to Nathan's stuff. I'm going to give some resources out later that you can go to to listen more uh, about this issue. But just really short. Uh, race, that word coming from originally French usage, comes from Europe in the 1500s. It's a fairly new term. Focusing on common ancestor, um, dividing mankind among common physical characteristics. That's race. Ethnicity comes from ethnos, meaning nation or people group. Not nation state, but nation in the sense of people. It does have a biblical basis. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Hebrew, translates the word goyum, non-Israelite peoples. They translate it as Ethnos, peoples, nations, Gentiles. When we're called to go to all the nations, it's pantate ethne, to the peoples, to the people groups. And when we hear this, let's not just think of some tribe in the Amazon. You are this. You are ethnos. No matter where you come from, no matter what color your skin is, no matter what language you're comfortable with, you are ethnos. You are the nations to whom the gospel is to go out. So why is this distinction important? Not so we can go around and anytime a friend, coworker, or HR person uses the word race, that we go, ha, no, it's not. That's, not that's, that's a new term. You should be talking about ethnos. Let me tell you about the Greek. No. It's so that the Bible has the final say on the subject. We should frame our discussion and our thinking, maybe that's internal as somebody's talking about race, using biblical categories. With this, there are non-moral generalities. There are generic tendencies. There are things like language, food, and beverage preferences that do not have real moral significance. The real problem is pride and idolatry, not some of these preferences. Okay? Now, there are some things that are inherent to culture that, yes, need to be repented of. We'll talk about that a lot more later. But there are some things that cause friction that are just preferences. Majority culture does not equal individual culturality. We'll develop this over the course of the morning. Our member testimonies will help demonstrate this. 
But let me just ask you quickly, could you offer a definition of American culture? It's not that simple. Um, how about, let's think about a military kid who's bounced around the country, maybe the whole, the whole world. What would be their experience of majority culture? How about somebody in another place who, who comes to faith and is wholeheartedly rejected by their family? They're left to pick up the pieces and redefine community within a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. How does majority culture and their individual culturality come to interaction? We don't want to assume that somebody has the majority culture. We want to know instead their individual culturality. We want to have awareness without Assumption. All right, so how are we going to do this? I'm going to blaze through a few things, and then I'm going to actually ask you guys to do a quick little survey um, of your own kind of thoughts about some of these, these areas. All right, so we have some distinctions when we look at culture. All right, these are just tools in your toolkit. Um, I wish I, I could throw them up for you so you guys could read them, but let me just go through them really quickly. We have things like hot and cold, Sarah Lanier. She's saying generally uh, hot climates contribute to warmer cultures and colder climates are the opposite. So you might compare um, a Costa Rican to a Lithuanian and you can kind of probably figure out how those differences would happen. We have Edward Hall, he talks about um, silent language, things like time, space, um, controlling resources, associating ourselves, etc. Marvin Mayers, one that I, I lean on heavily to develop uh, the little thing I'm going to have you do. Things like dichotomistic and holistic thinking, crisis versus non-crisis orientation, task versus person. Something we'll use later, the Hofstede model of national culture. We're going we're gonna to do a little activity looking at things like power distance, respecting authority, things like that, individualism, collectivism, all right? All of these things are floating around underneath the surface. They've all made our glasses. We just don't know about it. And then um, there's another one that I took from my time at, at, at uh, SPTS and kind of have developed it a little bit, added some things on. It's a little bit more simplistic. I'll share it again to scratch Clint's itch for alliteration. Foundation, what is real? Family, is it matriarchal, patriarchal? To follow along bloodlines. Friends, another F. How do we handle friends? Faith, religious belief. Food, is it just fuel or is it more about feasting? Is it about relationships? Festival, the flow of time, is it linear? Is it circular? The future, where are we headed? All right. So, um, time doesn't allow us to dig into all these things, but like I said, I'm going to have you do a questionnaire and it's going to fill you in a little bit for yourself and, and we can dialogue about that as we go on. So, um, we're going to start with our first culture, our culture. Why, why start there? We need to have intra before we have inter, all right? We need to know what we bring to the table. We need to realize what glasses we are wearing before we go around trying to deal with other people's spectacles. How to do so? We do it with honesty, humility, and a desire to honor God. We've got to be real with ourselves. We've got to be ready to evaluate. And we've got to be right in our motivation and goal. And so now we are going to uh, please do so. So um, I'm going to send out to some guys another QR code, and then we'll also get you a, uh, a link, okay? You can also go to http colon backslash tiny.cc backslash culturality, and I'll get that out to guys as well.